welcome to Crosstown, and we're excited to be starting our new series called Catching Your Second Wind. Hey, I want to remind you, next week is our family fun day. What that means, I mean, it really means what it sounds like. We have a one service. The children are with us during that service. It's at 9.15. After the service is over, the food trucks are in place. We rip up this building. We have a giant obstacle course, uh, uh, jump, jump castles, face painting, all kinds of great things for you and the family. And we invite you to be a part of it. We will not be having our second service uh, there'll be snow cones. So let me encourage you to be a part of it. And, and let me just say that if you don't have any kids, this doesn't mean, hey, you know, I, I don't go to church on this day because this is all about the kids. It really isn't just about the kids. It's about the family of us as Crosstown as a church. So we really invite you to be there. And the food will be great. It'll be really a good time. But we've got a lot of things coming up. I want to introduce you, if you don't know Suzanne Kuba, Suzanne is our director of small groups and our missional outreach. Yeah, let's give it up for her. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, we've got small groups that are just about to start kicking up in the fall. So now's the time that we're looking for people who are interested in leading a small group. And, and you know, Suzanne, tell us a little bit about this. We're, we're going to help them become that, right? Absolutely. Lots of training and encouragement and support. Okay. So somebody's out there, they've never done a group before. Why do a small group? Um, so I've been thinking about how to um, articulate this, and the word that kept um, popping up in my mind was just connection and connection. And um, I think the benefits of being a small group leader is just you have the opportunity to connect people to um, community like and experience real authentic faith together. Um, and then connect people to the love of Jesus Christ um, in a much more tangible way than we get to experience just on Sunday mornings and through encouraging each other, helping each other, um, and just the impact that you can have on another person's life. Um, but I've also found personally that um, the blessings that I receive through um, small group leadership is um, far exceeds the blessings that I can give. Um, and then just a very practical reason is connecting you to scripture. Um, and I think that it's just provides me personally a discipline to stay in God's word and uh, the benefits from staying in God's word, that's just endless. Yeah, I have to admit, um, I probably wouldn't have read scripture as much as I do if I wasn't the pastor of the church. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't be into it and studying Greek words and all the other different things. Uh, but I think God said, well, I need to make this guy the pastor so he feels his pressure so I can keep him saved because he won't read his Bible unless I make him the pastor. So there really is the benefit of being in leadership is that it's like, okay, you're willing to do some stuff that you normally wouldn't have done. And it's kind of like uh, training for a race and, and just kind of asserting yourself into it. So let me encourage you. Uh, you can sign up in the back in our, yeah, what are the different ways? Yeah, I'll be in the back after service, um, and you can come and talk to me about it. And just even if you have any reservations, but you think you want to do it, we can talk about that. You can also sign up through our app, um, or you can also email me at Suzanne at CrosstownChurch.com. That's awesome. And one of the other things that she'll be a part of is directing our missional outreaches that we do, the ways that we actually go out into the community and serve. Uh, one of the ones that's coming up that I personally am very jacked about is you know we flood three um, every time it 
we have a really bad storm. This church floods. We've flooded three times in the last five years. We've become very much involved with the city on a real planning level. It's, it's really surprising that the mayor has invited us in. We did our own hydrology study. We know just as much about flooding in the Charleston area as anybody else does. And as a result of that, it's helped us develop a relationship with the Dutch. The Dutch have been invited in by the city of Charleston to help engineer a way of solving this problem. And so we are part of the Dutch dialogue. So you guys don't, may not be aware of it, but the ambassador of the Dutch have been here. Uh, they've looked at our creek and all. Well, because we've been so involved in it, we are actually hosting the Dutch dialogues that will be taking place in Charleston July 15. This church will be filled with some of the best engineers from around the world on the issue of flooding, and we'll be breaking up with city planners and engineers from the city and community leaders and actually designing the solution for the Church Creek Basin area. So it, for us, actually, I was talking to the former ambassador of the Dutch, and, and he was telling me, you know, the fact that your church is in the middle of all this, and I mean, this is really cool. So that's one of the ways that we are impacting the Charleston area. We'll need volunteers. We'll need uh, people to help us with that Dutch dialogue night that we'll have July 15th. And there's no qualifications for that. If, if you can help in any kind of way, let me encourage you to also to go to the information booth and just tell us that that will be something that you'd be a part of. And then there was something that happened. I'm going to have to tell the whole story. I'd like, I'd like you to tell the whole story. Okay, all right. So first of all, the mayor asked me to be a part of his advisory council. And so I'm like, I don't want to be a part of anybody's advisory council. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. I'm not that guy that wants to be, oh, I got invited. I mean, it's, it's like, so I'm like, okay, you know, you got so many people around you, you don't need me talking to you. So, um, so I decided, okay, I'll do it. So they invited me to go to this meeting they were having on Thursday. Suzanne was here at the office. I came in, had a suit jacket on with some jeans, and, and she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm not really sure I'm going anywhere because I don't want to go to this stupid meeting. And, and I just don't want to be a, another pastor yo-yo, you know. And, you know I, have, I have issues, all right, so I do have <laughs> issues. But I just didn't want to be a part of it. And she just said, listen, you just need to go and just pray that God will tell you why he wants you to be there. So I'm like, okay, mom, I'll go. <laughs> so, so I went. Well, little did I know when I got to the address that the, the meeting was going to be held at a homeless shelter on Meeting Street for veterans and, and for um, people with mental illness. And so I was in the meeting, there was about 35 of us, and the director of this new shelter that's been put together called the Navigation Center began to speak. And, you know, and, and as she's talking, you know, you, all you can hear is the sound of fans blowing. Because they got these giant fans in the back, and so they, they said, listen, can we turn off the fans so we can hear you? And so we turned off the fans, and then she apologized, and she said, um, you know, we're sorry, we're just waiting to get our air conditioner fixed, and, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're trying to raise the $6,000 to do that. And, uh, but, they're, you know, they're housing families that are, that are homeless. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. They've served about 400 people so far. Did you know that 80% of all homeless people suffer some, from uh, mental illness? So it's, you know, a lot of us think, well, you know, 
if you just get a job, you know, if you just do your part, you know, just get back. For a lot of these people, it just doesn't happen. I wasn't aware that 25% of them are veterans, um, that, that our veterans are homeless. So when I got there and I'm, I'm, I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I haven't been to this part of Charleston in too long. You know, you get caught up in your own thing, flood fixing, small groups, doing whatever, whatever you do as a pastor. And I, I was just like, wow. So she's talking, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. So let me get this straight. So these people are homeless, and they have to go to a shelter, and the shelter doesn't have air conditioning. I'm like, that's like sick in America. I mean, it just made me like sick to my stomach about me. You know, um, so as soon as she finished talking, she walked off. I went up to her and I said, you got your $6,000. Um, I said, I'm an ambassador of my church. And so our church is going to give you $6,000. Um, and so, so she started crying on the spot and, um, and, you know, just started thanking God for that. And, you know, so, so I wanted you to know that out of the benevolence fund that you give to, you just brought air conditioning to people's, people's lives who are miserable. I mean, people's lives, they, nobody picked to be homeless. You know, she told me about one family where the mom in the family has two college degrees, but they lost, both lost their jobs and they had no savings. And all of a sudden they find themselves living on the street. So, um, and as working with Suzanne on this, we're going to get more and more involved with the Navigation Center. Um, I was going to take another offering from today, but we're not going to do that. We want to actually, you know, see the projects that they're going to be working on, and then we'll have you give to those particular things. But I wanted to let you know, sometimes when you give to Crosstown, you wonder where money's going, what do we do with that, how am I making any difference as you know, as somebody who gives to a church, I just want to let you know, to be able to be there in that meeting, and I mean, there was a lot of ministers around, and, and to be there, and as the lady got off the stage, to walk up, hug her, say, you got $6,000, and, and me and Susan, Deanna drove down yesterday to the shelter and gave, gave her the money, you made that happen. So I want to thank you for your, for your um, collaborating with Crosstown and seeing the kingdom of God extended. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to be doing and we're going to be a part of. Absolutely. And if you want to be a part of that, you can meet me in the back too after service. All right. Great to have you, Suzanne. Let's give it up for her. So we're going to use this summer as a time for getting your second wind. And um, the scriptures talk about running a lot when it comes to the Christian journey. So it's, it's kind of analogous of, of doing that. The, the analogies of running are all over the scriptures concerning running. And, and so we're going to be taking a look at the, the challenges of running, the, the objectives, and even the chemistry of running and how it applies to the Christian life. Um, and it just happens to be my wheelhouse. I know I don't look like it right now. But running used to be my thing. There is no sport that I played more than in my life than running. When I was a little kid, I, I guess because, you know, when you're one of eight, eight kids, 
um, and your brothers are bigger than you, then you just get used to running. So we, we did, I did a lot of running when I was a kid and then found out that you could get like a trophy if you ran good enough. And so in junior high, I started doing track and then in high school did track. So I, I did a lot of running. It's something that I've really been involved in. I've done my share of, of mile runs, two mile runs. We didn't do 15Ks back then because we were still American then and we just used a different standard of measurement. But now I understand there's 15Ks and all those other uh, metric things. Um, I've done my share of 5Ks, done a couple marathons, and then I did a bunch of AARs. Um, you probably don't know what an AAR is, but an AAR is a arrest avoidance run. Um, those are when you do something uh, criminally wrong and you have to run really fast. They're also known as um, crime to cuffs 3Ks. Uh, so, so if you're not good at them, you, you just don't want to do those kinds of races. So there were a lot of times I had to put, deploy some of my skills. So I, I know what it's like to hit the wall. And I'm going to give you a phrase, please, and I know I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to do it, but don't do it. There's another phrase in running, when you hit the wall, runners call it boinking. And now I know you're like, boinking, don't, doesn't that in Europe mean this? Don't, don't sit here today and start Googling the word boink. I can't guarantee what pictures will pop up if you use it. But that's, that was the phrase that we used. When, and if you look at uh, Run Strong or any of the websites about bonking, it refers to this idea of hitting the wall. And, and I've been there. And, you, you know, you're in a race and you think you're doing great. You've done all this training, you think you're amazing, you think you're going to beat a lot of people, and then the, the bonk happens to you. Uh, this is what it looked like for me. You know, you, you've done everything, and you're in the race, and you're thinking about making your move, and, and things are going good, and, and you, then you start looking around, and it's, I was like this guy in this photo. This is an actual picture of me, but I was like this guy. I had the matching top with the little matching shorts, and the shorts were always way too short, but apparently in running, you could get away with that. But, you know, and then you'd have the little shoes with the little pads that match, and so I was, I was this guy running, and everything was matched, but when you hit the wall, you realize, you know, I'm not doing so good right now. And then you start looking around as you're starting to die, and then you see this guy in the, in the race, and you can swear he's drinking from a bottle of vodka, and he's still beating you. I mean, he's still ahead of you. In your mind, when you're doing the race, you're thinking, you're, you know, everybody's like warming up, and, and they're doing this little jog thing, cause, and we're looking at our watches, and, and we're doing our little, uh, you know, stretch, things like this. Or, but you get into the race, and all of a sudden, when you bunk, there's nothing there's nothing sexy going on. And you thought you were doing amazing. You look around it, and this chowderhead, you know, hasn't run a day in his life. And he's getting hammered, and he's beating you. I'm telling you, it can totally wipe you out in the middle of the race. You know, there's a large physiological explanation for it. And, and it has something to do with the combination of all your uh, glycogen resources have been absorbed. I mean, you don't have any more uh, resources of energy. And then it, 
there's also this wicked combination of lactic acid building up in your muscles. You start getting that rigor mortis feeling, that, you know, that hot burning feeling that you get in your muscle as the acid is starting to build up inside of your muscles. It's a real thing when you hit the wall. Um, let me, I'm going to show you a video, and bef before I show you, you may be distressed by this video. Nothing, nothing bad happens, in it, and the story ends well, but this happens all the time when a person hits the wall. Let's watch. Kenyan runner Ivan Negetic had been in the lead for nearly 26 miles. The finish line was within sight when this happened. Overcome by exhaustion, Negetic fell onto her hands and knees but kept going. Oh my goodness, look at what's going on here in the women's race. She led for the entire day, only in the closing miles, her body let her down. Race director John Conley was watching. I've seen athletes wobble and fall. I've seen athletes crawl across the finish line. But that story of her going 26 miles and then crawling the last 450 feet or so, uh, never seen anything like it. When the medical team rushed to help and offered a wheelchair, she refused. She's taking no for an answer. Keep on going, young lady. Negetic had still managed to come in third. Conley greeted her after the race. You ran the bravest race and crawled the bravest crawl I have ever seen in my life. What an amazing thing. And I have to give that race director kudos because they gave her the equivalent in, in uh, purse money of the winner to her because of her bravery and what she went through. But it's, it's an absolute real thing. I mean, all of a sudden your body just says, I can't go any further, and, and it just collapses underneath you. And so the Apostle Paul writes a second letter to the Corinthians about getting their second wind. He's already written to them once about, about their relationship with God. He challenges them about some things that are going on in their life. But, you know, he, he realizes that the wind's gotten knocked out of them. He realizes that they've been running this race and they're starting to get tired and fatigue is beginning to settle in. They've had some challenges that he's had to talk to them about. And then Paul has had some experiences, some adversity in his own life. So you combine that with the normal struggles of life, and Paul felt that this group of people needed to get their second wind. So he writes 2 Corinthians to kind of help them through the fatigue of their race. So over the summer, we're going to be looking at this second wind epistle and learning some things about catching our second wind. What do we need to do in the middle of this race when we've experienced a lot of different things? Our theme verse is going to be this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, our objective is going to be through the wisdom and the Spirit of God. We're going to spend this summer re-energizing our faith in the middle of adversity, which I think a lot of you have, in the middle of conflict, which I think all of us have, in the middle of compromise, making mistakes, doing things wrong, fatigue, uh, or, or even just the opposition of life. 
We're going to spend this summer just kind of like, okay, we need to catch our second wind as a result of this race that we've been running. And I think we all hit a wall at times, spiritually, emotionally. I think maybe your marriage has possibly hit a wall. If you've been married more than seven, uh, uh, more than seven years, I think you know what I'm talking about. Really, if you made it past three years, it's usually about three years when you, you hit your first wall in a marriage relationship. But, you know, when you hit it relationally, but also when you hit it spiritually, we need to begin to look at, okay, what are the things that are causing this in our lives? A lot of us get fatigued by our past. A lot of us get fatigued by the pressure to succeed. We're always going. We're always having to succeed. We always got to be better than. I don't know how that gets into us, but it, it becomes part of our race strategy. For some of us, it's a lack of proper rest. You know, we hear the word Sabbath, and we either connect it with the band Black Sabbath or we connect it with some Jewish culture. But really, I, th I don't think a lot of us know how to rest. And I'm not talking about taking a day off, because most of us taking a day off means that you're mowing the lawn. Because on Saturday, you had to drive your kids to New Orleans so that they could compete in a t-ball competition. And so, you know, you've been doing that all the time. Then when you get a day off, your day off isn't really a Sabbath. It's really not a rest of time for you to catch your second wind, but rather it's just to get things that you let slip throughout the week and get them done. And I think a lot of us are, are eating the wrong pre-race foods, which is really important. That carb loading that takes place before a marathon or a 10K. You know, I think sometimes in our lives we, we, we're just feeding ourselves the wrong stuff to prepare us for this race. For instance, maybe you've been feeding yourself on just follow your heart. That's, that's how you, f you feed yourself. Maybe you've been feeding yourself on you've got to prove yourself to everyone. Or God helps those who help themselves. Or maybe you've been feeding yourself this I'm on my own, so i got to work harder. Or maybe, if you're part of my generation, rest shows weakness. Being raised by a World War II dad, you know, you didn't take breaks. You didn't take days off. You know, real men, you know, didn't get tired. You just kept on working. And if you, you had pain, you, you worked through the pain. You run through the pain. And we've, we've le now learned how destructive that mentality was. But, you know, I was raised to think that if you take rest, it's a sign of weakness. I remember I, I have this buddy, and a lot of you know him, Scotty Parker. He's, uh, I love mountain biking. So we decided that we would go up to Asheville into the Nantahala area, and we would ride this place called Solly, and it's got these incredible trails for mountain biking. And so we did three days. We did 21 miles a day on our mountain bikes, but we would compete against each other. So the first day, you know, we went through the trails, and they had all these different trails. So the first trail, I won that day. You know, so I, I felt really good, and, and it's like, okay, I won the first day. Well, the second day, we came back, and we, we did 21 miles on a different trail, and, and, and he won that day. You know, so we'd ride together, but we'd kind of last three miles. It was like, okay, it's on. You know, it was like, it, I don't care what happens to you. I don't care if you get eaten by bears. I mean, it's like the first one. So, this, so he won the second one. The third day came along, and um, at a crucial part, 
of doing our ride, it, it loops back where there's this refilling station where you could put more water in your camel pack that you're driving with, you know, with the little tube. Well, he stops to get water. I decided, what a, what a weak slacker. Nobody needs water. So I skip the water station, and I just book it out of there, taking this opportunity to get ahead of him. Well, about three miles before the finish, climbing up this hill, all of a sudden, this hamstring goes. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then because I leaned over like this, this hamstring went at the same time. So both hamstrings like are like this. So I'm like, oh, my. And I just fall off my bike because your feet clip into a mountain bike. So I'm laying there on the ground, and, and I can't get up because every time I do, it's the Charlie horse just kind of goes one there, and then I, I'm trying to stretch that leg out, and I'm doing that one, then this one, and, and I'm like, oh. And just about that time, I hear ching, 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 the sound of the, the chain on a mountain bike as it goes over stumps and, and rocks, and ching, 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 ching. And I'm laying there, and I'm, and I'm like, Scotty. And he looks at me, he just looks at me, he laughs with this <laughs> laugh, and off he goes, and he wins the last day. But, you know, why did that happen? It's because I just didn't take proper rest. I, did, I thought I was so tough and so good and so manly that I didn't need to take a break and take a rest. And for a lot of us, we have bought into that lie. And isn't it amazing in the creation story, you know, we got God doing this creating stuff. And then on the seventh day, to model it for all of us, God says, whew, I'm, I'm going to take a break. I'm just going to rest from all of my work, so I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break. You would think we would have gotten it. That, wow, even in the creation story, after he creates everything, God kind of emulates to us the concept of proper rest. But not us Americans. We got an extra day, that means we can, we can make more money, or that means we can rebuild our deck, or that means we can do something, and as a result, we begin to fall apart. I think one of the other things that we've been operating on, running on, is this idea of um, when bad things happen, um, I deserve to have things go wrong in my life. I made mistakes, you know, the universe should be angry with me. Bad things should happen to me, or I'll never win, and we've, and we've got that someplace in our lives. Or maybe if you were like me, I was raised in a religious background where you kind of had to make up for what you did wrong. Um, you had to do like a certain amount of prayers, and I won't name the denomination, but you had to do a certain amount of prayers. I won't say what it is, but you had to go into a confessional, and then you had to do acts of kindness. I mean, whatever the priest told you, but I won't say exactly what denomination it was, but whatever it was, you had to do these acts of contrition is what they were called. It means that you got to show you're really sorry for what you've done wrong. And I tell you what, you can't finish a race if you're trying to live out some bad mistake and you think that you are going to have to pay for it for the rest of your life. So in the sports world of running, what is a second wind? And how can you prepare yourself to get one? Well, scientists believe that a second wind occurs, and there is some argument on this, so, so don't, don't hold me to all this, but some scientists believe it's a result of endorphins and um, helping you through the pain and the stress of it, and that's obviously part of it. Then there's other speculation that there's a point in the middle of a race, because you've conditioned yourself, 
that you reach what's called homeostasis. That means you kind of arrive at a place where your body's at an equilibrium. See, when you start a race off, if you've done any of them or you've seen them, it's like you start off and you're trying to find your pace and, and you know, there's a guy going too slow in front of you so you want to get around him so you speed up and, and then you're trying to, you know, have to go up on a sidewalk and get back down into the race so you can get your pace on and, and you're trying to get your pace and all of a sudden you went from a dead stop to a, you're running and your heart's taxed and everything's happening and, and you get, the fatigue begins to set in and you're trying to find what your pace is. But there is a point when all of a sudden after you've gone through all that and you've settled into your pace that your body reaches this equilibrium. The temperature of your body reaches about two degrees over standard temperature. There's a point when, when the uh, uh, energy reserves are, are working right in your body that there is a, there, when you started the race you created an oxygen debt. And then when you get to those places where your temperature, your breathing, and your energy are all working together and you've got a really good pace, your body actually kind of rewards you with this endorphin surge. It's like everything's working great, homeostasis, you know? And you just kind of, you're at that point where you no longer have an oxygen debt and everything's working great. So in Paul's letter, he realizes that there's sometimes these things get out of rhythm for us. That there are some debts that we begin to acquire, some buildup of a certain amount of acid that begins to build up. That maybe our energy reserves have been depleted and we, we, had, we hit this wall. And so he wants to begin to give us all the things that are necessary to get our second wind back. So he begins to break down the things that we need. So let me read that verse to you again out of our theme, and I'll, I'll stop on some parts of it. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is be, being renewed day by day. I just want to look at this, we don't lose heart. It doesn't say we don't get angry. It doesn't say we don't get frustrated. It doesn't say that we don't get disappointed, because I think we all do that. And I think the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us that, you know, he goes on to this whole chapter where he's like angry about people not thinking he's the real deal, and you're like, what's this all about him venting? It's all part of this getting your second wind. And so he goes through this whole thing, he's, he's talking about, yeah, we have a lot of difficulties, we have a lot of challenges, we all have failures. He said, but we don't lose heart. And I think that's equivalent to the modern expression of, we don't throw in the towel. But there are times when the race really hurts. I'm in one of those particular situations now, and, and it's, it's physiologically related. I, I, did, I, I blew out another disc. And, and so now I've got two blown out discs, and it's, it's really frustrating. I just turned 60, um, and that's an experience. It's not a bad one, but it is an experience. And so when I was working on the Subaru, and I blew something out in T10, T11, so I can't sleep. I can't lay on my back. I can't lay on my stomach because I only have half a colon from another injury, and, and my stomach doesn't work right. I can't sleep on my side, so I, I'm not sleeping at all, so that kind of wears you out. Um, but then I started to think about it, it's like, wow, dude, now with this problem, um, you, you can't do anything. Yesterday, I was reaching in the car to pull something out of the car, 
and, and I reach in, and all of a sudden I tweaked it again. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh my goodness, is this the way it's going to be for the rest of my life? And I did the WebMD and all the searches, and it's like, yeah, in the thoracic region, those don't, ones don't fix real well, like the L4, L5, or, or the cervical range. These guys don't because the rib cage holds them together. There's not a lot of movement going on there. So when one blows, it usually stays blown. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm going to probably live 25 more years, and I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my friggin' life. I mean, that's really, I'm just telling you what I was thinking. And then it's like, okay, so what's the next thing? Well, a surgery that has only a 20% success rate, maybe God healing me, or take hydrocodone for the rest of my life. So I'm going to be stoned for the rest of my life. And so I'm serious. I was just like... This sucks. So I know what it's like when you look at this, and I know that I know a lot of you have been dealing with worse stuff than, than just a blown disc in your back. And, but the Apostle Paul says, listen, I know you're hurting, and I know you have blowouts, and I know you have pain, but don't throw in the towel. And somehow, in the middle of all his adversity, being thrown off a horse, being stoned in the bad way, no, I guess they're both bad ways, but it'd be being, it'd be in the, you know, actually having people throw rocks at you, um, it, it being rejected by some of the other apostles, some of all the stuff that's going on in his life, shipwrecked three times. I mean, this guy's had, he said, but we don't lose heart. I want to know how that happens. I want to know how you can go through a divorce or be a single parent. I want to know how you can lose your job or have your body fighting against you or the difficulty of a career or not having a career and not lose heart. How the heck does that, how did you do that? That's what we're going to spend the whole summer discovering is how do we not lose heart? Because if anybody had the, the right to lose heart and basically just, just shake his fist to the sky, it would have been the Apostle Paul. So how does he do it? And, and we're not going to go deep into it today, but he, he discovers this conditioning thing, this daily renewal. He says, though outwardly we're decaying day, you know, day by day, you know, he says outwardly we're falling apart, we're blowing out our discs, our colons, our, even though we're decaying maybe in our, in our marriages or maybe decaying in our careers or whatever it may be, the decay of the society around us, though we look around and we constantly are surveilling, seeing entropy happening to the world around us and actually happening to our bodies, he said, there's something else that can go on if you make sure you keep your eyes in the right place. He said, you can actually experience, Paul, talking to me. He's like, he's, Paul, you, yeah, I know your back hurts, but do you know that you can experience a renewal day by day? Every single day that there can be a, a, a second wind that you experience in your life? I think Paul had a better understanding of the place of adversity in his life. I mean, you go through adversity. Have you ever said to God, what the heck is this? You gotta be, you gotta be freaking kidding me. You know, I'm going through this. I just came through that. Now I'm going through this. You know, I mean, if I'm the only person that's going through this kind of life, uh, I'm sorry, but pray for me. But, but I don't think I am. I think everybody, we go through these things and we're like, when is this going to happen? I mean, when's this going to stop? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to stop. There's, there's, the current universe is going to continue to serve this up to us. So 
So what is the solution to all this? What is, what is it that we're supposed to be looking at? Well, one of the things Paul understood was the place that adversity had in his life. He wasn't surprised by adversity. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. Paul was like, oh, I, I can totally believe this has happened. I totally believe my body's decaying. Why did I think at 60 that I wouldn't have hurt in my body? If you're 30 here today, you're just like feeling sad for me because you're like, your body is so amazing. You can't even imagine hurting all the time. But it happens. But the Apostle Paul said, I understand why adversity happens. I understand why bad things happen. They happen to me. He said, I now have an understanding that, that God uses things in our lives to help focus us or to help develop something better inside of us than what we would be developing on our own if we didn't have adversity. He was focusing on the real win. What is the real win in life? So over the summer, we'll be talking about the power of encouragement. We'll be doing some inner inventory. We'll be looking at experiencing renewal and the power of grace in our lives. But one of the things that we need to leave here with today, probably more than anything, is having that conversation with God about what we're focused on. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. Hebrews 12.1, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that, is so, that so easily entangles us. This happens to us all. You don't have to be a desperately wicked person to get entangled. You don't have to be a bad seed to be encumbered with a lot of things. Paul says, universally, he says, the, these encumbrances or sins or whatever they are that so easily entangle all of us. We all get tired. We all hit the wall. We all boink in our relationship with God. So he says, but let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and here's the key for today, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's it. You know, God's telling me, Paul, yeah, I know your back's hurt. You know, okay, so you got your MRI on your phone now, and you can zoom in, and everybody that you see, hey, have I shown you my MRI? Hey, have I shown you my MRI? Hey, have I told you the story about my colon? Hey, have I told you how fast I ran when I was 18? Did I tell you how small my waist was when I was 25? Did I tell you that when I ran that marathon, what my time was? And God is like, dude, if you're going to still focus on what you did yesterday, or if you're going to be focusing, showing everybody your MRI and telling them about how much pain you are, he said, you're never going to finish this race. It's just not the way. He said, instead of focusing on the encumbrances and the things that you, the compromises of life, he said, focus on Jesus. Why? Well, because he's run the race too, and he won. That helps. And here's the other thing he knows the course that you're running, and he knows how to help you finish it. When I was running track, and my coach would you know, when, you, when you're really competing and, and you're really into it, well, my coach, we, we know what my mile time was supposed to be. So if I was in, a, in a, a 10K or in a marathon, what my coach would tell me would be, okay, I'll be at the one mile mark. We need to make sure that your mile time is right on that one mile time that you haven't gotten caught in, in a crowd. 
And so it says you hit one mile mark, there was Coach Bruce, and he would step forward, and he'd say, Paul, you're moving through. Okay, you're at, you know, uh, 435, 436, 437, boom. And he would tell me what my mile time was. Okay, then I knew that at the three-mile mark, he would hop in his car, he would drive to the three-mile mark, and there was Coach Bruce again. And he's like, okay, Paul, we're coming in. All right, uh, 15, 50, you know, and he'd tell me what the time was, and he'd be like, okay, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And then a little later in the race, he would get in his car, he would drive up, and he would be there. See, that's what Jesus can do. He knows exactly where you should be, when you should be there. He knows the course. He knows the pace. He's telling you, listen, there's a hill coming. We got a hill coming. Take him on the hill. And he would actually have runners that I was supposed to take out. And I remember this kid from Bill Ricker, uh, Massachusetts, said he was a really good runner. And it was like, oh, okay, uh, Cullohan is, is right up, he's, he's up there, he's there, Paul. Go, go, take him on this hill. We knew he couldn't run hills real well, but I didn't want to end up in a sprint at the end against this kid, because this kid could sprint much faster than I could. But I could run hills all day long. He's like, you got to take him on. See, this is what Jesus knows about you and me. He wants to take us through the race, and he wants to coach us through it. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, you got an MRI? Good for you. You you got fired from your job? Okay, I understand that hurts. You're dealing with some tough things in your your marriage? Well, stop focusing on your husband and trying to make him become smarter. You know, that ain't going to happen. Okay? You need to focus on Jesus. If you want to finish this race, you want to win this race, you got to get your second win. Get your eyes back on, the, on, on Christ because he's won the race and he knows the race that you're going through. So here we are entering the summer. And this is going to be a really great time for us to refocus, to rest, and to replenish. I promise you over the next couple of weeks I'm not going to bring up some heavy social issue for us to kind of deal with. That was our springtime. We went through that. and I'm not going to... We're going we're gonna to help you prepare for the fall. We're going to help you getting back to school. Whether you're going to it or you're driving somebody to it or you're getting back to work. Or, and, you know, I, we want to prepare you for the next phase of your life. And the summer is going to be about it. But, but we're going to need you to look at your pace. We're going to need you to ask yourself, what are you focusing at? You know, I've been honest today, maybe too honest, and I'm, I apologize if, if I've described what goes on in my head a little too clearly. But, you know, if you haven't gotten your second wind with God, everybody else around you knows you're boinking. Everybody else knows it. So let's just stop faking it. You know, let's, let's just, everybody knows you're tired. So you sucking it up and braving it up and putting on that church smile every Sunday, just, just, you don't have to do that here. You, you really don't. If, if the race is really hurting, you know, it's okay to stop and stretch out your hamstrings. It's okay to stop at the water station and get some water. I mean, why eat a banana in the middle of the race? Well, you know, if you're at mile 18, a banana may be just about right. Yeah, but I'm a runner. It's like, no. Runners eat bananas. Runners take rest. Runners stretch. Runners drink water if they want to win. Did you think you didn't need God to run this race? Did you think that it would be a weakness to stop? Or let me ask you this. Does your kind of rest 
bring you closer to God. I mean, really, just think about your rest day. Is that when you get everything else done, but it has just, it doesn't have God in it either? Rest day is not, I'm getting hammered day. That's not rest either. But let me ask you, does your rest have God in it? Have you designed your day off or your moments or your drive to work, wherever it is where all of a sudden everything stops for a little bit, where you've got God, where you get that renewal, where that endorphin of the Spirit of God comes into your life and you invite him to fill your heart, soul, mind, relationship and have time with God. You know, you don't finish this race without being closer to him. You don't finish this race if you don't focus on him. Father, as we enter into this this water station, at this mile marker in our lives, you are here today through the power of your spirit and you say, anyone who has thirst, come and I will give him water. Father, today we stop, we rest. We have a moment of stretching ourselves towards you, that you would fill us. The Lord God, the debt has been paid through Jesus. Restore all things back to where there should be in our relationship with you. Father, as we come and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, we take in the glycogen of heaven. We take in he who died and rose again, that we would have new life, a second wind, a new creation, a new life. Let me encourage you to enter into this moment with God, whether it's through communion, whether it's through a time of giving, through a time of writing a prayer and pinning it to the cross or prayer with one of our elders, or maybe just even just sitting in this moment of worship. But let me encourage you to experience God in a moment of rest.